Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's February or February, depending on how you say words. (laughs) I've heard both. I have noticed that uh, our openings have become song time with Heather. And that didn't used to be the case. It was like sometimes it was a song and sometimes it was something silly that you'd say. And sometimes it was whatever weird noises. But our openings, I have noticed the last few weeks, it's just song time with Heather. Um, I'm kind of into it. Uh, Living with Heather is kind of song time with Heather. So you're just Mm -hmm. getting a glimpse of our household. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I, uh, I was I've listened to a few things this week that people were like, so is it February or February? February. I'm like, February sounds wrong. February is the, how it's spelled. That's the way it's spelled. Exactly. So people are like, do we just say it wrong? Like the majority of humans? Uh, probably. Knowing yeah. humans, we probably say it wrong. <laughs> but that's also, it's the same misspelling as Brett Favre's last name is F-A-V-R-E. Favre. Favre. Favre, which is one of my favorite things in Something About Mary is Ben Stiller's character cannot pronounce Brett, Brett Favre's name. He's like, Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that is a. That is a bit that lies rent-free in my head, I will say. I still don't think I've ever seen something about Mary. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my it's God. That was that so iconic in the late 90s when we were, like, in high school. Yeah. Yeah, but, see, that was during my period when I was being intentionally not in the loop. Yeah. I was being you were super like, you were edgy like, and counterculture. Oh, my God. That's what the popular people like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to not watch that. It's also a Ben Stiller movie, and nothing against know, you, Ben Stiller. You, you I know that him. I know that you listen to our podcast, and and I'm I mean, not. This he, is not me saying anything against you. He did sit behind me at a play once. So right, we're best friends. Right, right, right. This is not me saying anything against you. I'm just saying, generally speaking, Mr. Stiller, your movies leave me so cringy that I cannot enjoy them. Except for Zoolander, you love Zoolander. Except for Zoolander, which is great. Yeah, I love them all, but I I understand. Ken has the thing where he doesn't like. There's the cringe humor. It's like when someone is so awkward or so... I get embarrassed by proxy. Yeah. That's a common thing, actually. That is a very... uh, I don't know if it's common amongst theater people, because I actually... I just know a lot of people that have it, and they tend to be, like, people in the arts. But I'm sure it's just common in general. But I I enjoy it. (laughs) Because I'm clumsy as fuck and awkward, so I'm like, oh, they're more awkward than me. It's okay. (laughs) I'll survive. Oh, see, I I don't see them as more awkward, clumsy, or or anxious or whatever than I am. I just see me up there having the worst day of my life, and so I I just I get I get <laughs> sad and like Aww. I feel for them too much. Oh well, it's good that you feel for them. It's that like means he's doing a good job of being time, empathetic. Yeah, totally. But like every time Michael Sarah is on screen in anything, <laughs> I'm just like, oh god, I'm so I can't. Well, Michael, Sa- it hurts me. Michael Sarah looks like you could break him over your knee, so that doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> At least Ben Stiller's jacked. <laughs> like, and surprise. four foot nine. And yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. Is he? No, he's like he's like my height. 
yeah, he's yeah. just he's he's he's, he, he's short, short he's, for he's an film, action star looking leading. He's a film man. actor. He's a film actor. But anyway, our tangent on uh, Ben Stiller and something about Mary. Awkward nineties uh, movies. Awkward nineties movies. I mean, but yeah, it's it's February. <laughs> And uh, now you can't say it either. Now way. I can't say it either way. I'm fucked. I, I've ruined. I've ruined all things. It's Groundhog's Month. It is Groundhog's Month. Oh, and yeah, I had a good Groundhog's Day. I realized that my adventures in New York were on Groundhog's Day, which mm-hmm. was super fun. I was like, I didn't even put that together to the next day. Yeah, I went up and saw an old friend who might be listening this week because I think I sold him on the podcast. So hi Ben. Uh, I hadn't seen him in 13 years. He was like my roommate at undergrad and dear friend we did Arcadia together um and he lives in England now but he was in New York and I went up for a callback and we went out and had what I call a weeks long of New York adventures in a night so we went to like six different locations and every location was its own event (laughs) so with its own signature cocktail um and that was Groundhog's Day so that was fun I had a I had a very uh iconic New York night um on Groundhog's Day. Yay. I recently saw the petition going around again that whatever company it is that owns the rights needs to announce that they are releasing a sequel to the movie Groundhog's Day and then just re-release the original. That would be brilliant. Why don't they do that every year? <laughs> <laughs> they should put it in movie theaters every year only for Groundhog's Day. <laughs> like pretend it's a sequel and just like put it out and see if people keep showing up. It's Groundhog's Day 36. <laughs> I think Bill Murray would be absolutely behind that that choice. Um, He would even put out trailers. I'm surprised he hasn't instigated it yet. I know. I'm like, I feel like he would even like put the trailers together so it looks like a new movie and then you'd show up and it's not. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I hope, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, Anything new um, in Ken's show opens this week. Uh, he's going to be dancing around in heels um, in Camden, New Jersey, which normally I would not suggest, but he is going to be inside a theater. So uh. so it's even more dangerous. <laughs> um, so if you're in the area, go check that out um, or send him a break legs, but not don't break your leg because he's wearing heels. So yeah. it could be dangerous. Yeah. We open on the 10th. So um, share some love. <laughs> love. Love. I don't know if Puxatani Phil saw his shadow or not. I wasn't watching. I actually didn't check. I assume not because that day and the following day were the coldest fucking days we've had all year. That was basically Phil going, yeah, no, it's going to be winter for a while. It <laughs> just started, bitches. <laughs> like, like literally that day and the next day in New York and then in Philly because I came back. Oh, that's not, we saw, if you're in, if you're in Philly, go see Ken's show, but you also you should go see uh, Kiss at the Wilma. Um, we saw the opening night performance with uh, Ken's old friend and my new friend, Sarah, and it's a fucking ride, y'all. Yeah. Go see Kiss at the Wilma. I'm giving a, a, a personal shout out for that. Uh, anything else? Should we just jump into the things we do? Yeah, I think so. I was trying to wait for a segue moment, but I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, listener, welcome to Campfire Classics. Ordinarily, typically, the bulk of our episodes, uh, we are a literary comedy podcast where we grab stories from out of the public domain and bring them to the forefront of your brain, whether you like it or not. Literary! 
But before we get there, we're going to dip our toes into something perhaps a little more pop culture. I actually don't know what this week is going to to look like, but this is um, recent fan favorite, or at least recent host favorite, or at least <laughs> recent my favorite segment, Clown Corner. This week, I'm excited because this is something I actually have a connection with, but I didn't know the fun facts to. So this week, we will be covering Pagliacci, the original entertainment murder clown. So oh, he's got an opera about him. Well, that's that's what we're. That is the opera is Pagliacci. Yeah. That's that's uh. So Pagliacci literally translates to clowns in Italy. Um, no, I thought you were going to say something about literally translates to murder clown. Murder clown. <laughs> well, if you mentioned it and anyone knows anything about the opera, then they'll know what you're talking about. So I am connected to this because when I was working at the Met in the early 2000s, um, I was not in this one as a supernumerary, but the kids were in it. So I was like off stage watching it and it's very, very iconic and it's a got beautiful music but it's very sad so let me tell you all about it um it is well it's funny until it's not it's one of those it's one of those sure it, like most like, stage productions from ever from ever if they're done right it should never just be sad the whole time because that's fucked up that's that's the theater i don't enjoy okay uh, so Pagliacci is an Italian opera with, it's a prologue and two acts, but it's actually just under two hours, which is very short for an opera. Um, it's music and libretto by Ruggiero Leva Leoncavallo. Leoncavallo. <laughs> that sounds right. Great. Pagliacci premiered at the Theater del Vem or Teatro del Verma in Milan in May, 20, on May 21st, 1892. Hey, Italian listeners, how's Sorry. she doing? <laughs> um, so the composer was very not well known when this came out. This was like his premier thing. Um, but he listened to a uh, opera called Cavalleri Rusticana, um, which I think is actually correct, um, by Pietro M- Somebody and uh, I would just like to point out that she did this one to herself. I did, but it's so good. I did not give her any of these words. This is Italian, not French. We're okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. But if I do this with my hand, it's easier. Leon Cavallo. (laughs) This is an audio medium. This is not a video episode. (laughs) They don't know what I'm doing, but they do. I'm doing the pizza pie hand. Um. I have permission from my Italian friends to do that when I talk. <laughs> they just think it's funny. All right. It's not racist. I have a friend. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So uh, Cavallari Rusticana premiered in 1890. Uh, Leon Cavallo went to see this and was like, interesting. I'm going to write an opera. He's like an up and coming uh, uh, writer. I'm going to write an opera in response to this. So it was like the what happened next kind of thing. Um, so he based the story of Pagliacci on an incident from his childhood. It was the 1895 murder of a family servant in his house who was killed by... Um, an opera clown. <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, was killed by... Uh, Giantalo, you know, some, and Luigi, Luigi. (laughs) Sure, I never trusted that guy. Yep. 
<laughs> Luigi, bitches. Um, the incident stemmed from a series of perceived romantic entanglements involving the servant and another woman in the village. And so Giantano and Luigi liked the same woman, so Luigi killed Giantano. <laughs> So, you know, the, the thing. He learned about it because his father oversaw, was a judge, and oversaw this, this criminal investigation. Okay. So the opera um, tells the story of Canio, who is an actor and a leader of a Commedia dell'arte theatrical company, who murders his wife and her lover on stage. So this is, I'm going to give you a really quick, like, breakdown of this. So... In Pagliacce, the traveling troupe begins the play, and it actually starts with a prologue of, like, this is just theater, but remember, actors are people. Things happen. It's kind of like a, like, remember, yes, you're watching clowns. Actors aren't people. (laughs) Every ad I've ever watched proves that. It says real people, not actors. Well, they do the opposite at the beginning of this this opera, and they're like, just remember, yes, you're watching a joyous, like, Commedia dell'arte piece, but these are people in real life when they go off stage and they have things going on. And then the play starts. So it's a play within a play. So uh, Canio, the clown, who's the uh, Pedrolino, kind of, he's like the sad, the sad clown, the lead clown, uh, is consumed with jealousy because he has overheard that his wife, Netta, who plays the Columbina, uh, he hears that Netta is having a, 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 a affair or at least, you know, thinking of it or is, in fact, is in love with someone else. So the play they're performing, um, Canio and his wife Netta are playing opposite each other. So they're performing the play. The play's going on. The play's going on. The play's going on. At the end of Act One, there is a very famous aria. It says, laugh, clown. At your broken love. Laugh at the grief that poisons your heart. Okay. But yes, everyone knows that phrase. Like, like that's like, it's like, fuck. Okay, so everyone knows this opera, whether you know it or not. It's been in like a Zales commercial, which is ironic because they're trying to sell you engagement diamond rings and it's about a crying clown who wants to murder his wife. <laughs> the more you know. Um, so they're performing the play. It's one of those things where the marketing person maybe should have done a little, a little more, more research. research. Hire, hired a translator. Just, it's, it's like... Um, so my mom used to do patent research uh-huh. uh, for a living. And, and um, one of the stories that I remember her talking about, one of the things I remember her talking about is a company that came to her and they wanted to use the a pen company that wanted to use the name Pen Ultimate as their like company yeah. thing. And she did all the research and was like, yeah, no, it's it's available. Absolutely. You can you can use that. But do you want to? You should know that the word penultimate means second to last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that so, might be why it's available. available? <laughs> um Okay, so he performs that at the end of Act 1 of the opera, even though it's usually done without an intermission, or if they do take an intermission, it's there. Um, So then they go into the play, and as the play goes on, they get to the last scene, and they're performing the play, and Canillo starts demanding to know the name of his wife's lover, which is part of the plot, because the Columbina is usually, like, the sassy, like, you know, the, the, the mysterious lady who's got a few lovers, and... 
all of a sudden he stops acting and addressing her for real. And like the audience is just like, oh God, because there's an audience on stage as well. Um, and he basically, he says, I, I've, I've been with you, I've cared for you, I've loved you, and you've betrayed me, and the audience is applauding. This is brilliant, the most brilliant performance they've ever seen. And then Furious, he draws a dagger, stabs Netta, demands the name of her lover. As she's dying, she calls out Silvio, and Silvio rushes in, her lover, and Canio stabs him too, shattered. As they're dying... He on the is lying on the stage covered in blood, looks up at the audience and proclaims La Commedia Infinita, which means the comedy is ended. And that's the end of the fucking play. <laughs> that sounds like the plot to an Agatha Christie novel. Yeah, really. Totally. Um, so this I've seen I've seen it and it's fabulous. I mean, this is this show's amazing because it is. It's really funny until you're like, oh shit, it just got dark because it's about a bunch of comedians. Um Pat, so when Pagliacci first appeared, it was mixed critical reviews, but the fucking audience and the public loved it and still does to this day. Um so the Met staged Pagliacci for the first time as a double bill, and this is how they did it when, still to this day when I was doing it in the early 2000s. The first time they did it was December 22nd, 1893. Mm. And they, they, sta- they staged it with the Cavallari piece. So the piece ah. that he wrote, like the sequel to, or like the response piece, they do the Cavallari piece first, and then they do Pagliacci. Cool. And it's called the Cav Pag. Like, that's what opera people call it. They're like, oh, I'm going to see the Cab Pag tonight. Wow, that's a long night at the opera. Well, it's about four hours because they're both like one acts, mm-hmm. um, which is the normal length of La Boheme. <laughs> like, La Boheme is four hours. If you go to a Wagner, it's about six. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's actually a, a, yeah. And the first piece is a straight up comedy. So at least it's very light. And then this one, you know. Um, this also is a famous opera because it was in 1907. It was the first opera ever to be recorded in its entirety. Oh. Um, with Puerto Rican tenor, who we just heard. That's the original recording as, uh, Canillo. Also in 1931, it became the first complete opera to be filmed with sound. And I wonder if it's because it's short. So like the whole reels thing, because they had to put it on different. Short and popular and very and people loved it um there's uh you can find that that was filmed at the san carlo opera company and then the franco zeffirelli version which is the he has the famous la boheme uh was directed in 1981 and that was with placido domingo and that was released on for television in 1982 and has been released on dvd so you can go out and get that one if you want but that is the story of Pagliacci, the original entertainment murder clown, because uh, it is thought that, at least in popular culture, that is one of the first times a clown has turned into the villain. And has, he goes from being very likable to, wow, he just killed two people on stage. So, huh. yeah. Cool. So, I don't think it would exist without <laughs> Pagliacci. So, you're welcome, Stephen King. <laughs> so, that's Clown Corner. Whee! Yay! Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's um, if there's a, a character because like there are a lot others. Of, a lot of a lot of Shakespeare has funny, 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 funny death. But the clown never um, does the murder. But it's yeah, I'm trying to think if any of the clowns ever. No. 
make that switch. And I don't think they so. They don't. It was very uncommon. And like there was, so I did do some, there's, there's a lot of information on this piece, of course. Um, one of the things I found was there was a French author that tried to sue the writer of Pagliacci saying he stole the plot from his play, like a play. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, I don't know that play. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry. Uh, well, and then someone came to his defense and found a play from like hundreds of years ago that has a very similar plot and was like, well, then if you're going to sue him, we're going to sue you. And so he dropped the lawsuit. (laughs) Basically, there are only five stories in the world, and this one just happens to be the most popular version of it, I think. Yeah. Um, I wonder which episode of The Simpsons tells this story. uh, It is definitely in there. There, I know for a fact there's a Pagliacci episode. I don't think he actually kills anybody, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll notice references to Pagliacci in, in most popular, like, television shows. It's very common. So... That is Clown Corner. Yay! Yay. So typically, Clown Corner is uh, a lead-in portion for our, um, I don't know, weirder fans who are super into clowns. Uh, Because then... (laughs) Or history. It's usually some fun historical stuff. whatever. I feel smarter now. (laughs) I don't know about you. I feel smarter now. (laughs) But... Uh, as I said earlier, the bulk of this podcast is uh, literary-ish, literary-ish in nature. Yeah, I was uh, at a literary magazine launch that on Groundhog Day, and I told a few people about the podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, hi, I run a literary comedy podcast. <laughs> and they're like, oh, cool. It's a literary-ish podcast where we uh, cold read short stories that were pulled out of the public domain. Uh, but we don't like to read these stories in a vacuum. We like to make sure there's at least some context, which is why before we read the story, we give you some fun facts about the author or the story or um, kind of whatever the hell else we find yeah. to talk about because... You know, sometimes the author isn't that interesting. Uh, But this week, Heather has chosen a story for me to read, so she has decided what the fun facts will be about. I now turn you over to my lovely co-host, Miss Heather Michelle Lawler, who will read you some funny stuff. So I'm back. Uh, So this is a new author for us, uh, which I'm excited about. This author has so much information I could not even pretend to give you everything, but um, I'm going to I'm gonna do my best, and then we'll probably maybe cover him again. Today, we'll be covering Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. He was born in August, on August 29th, 1809, okay. and he's an American physician poet based in Boston. His fame rests, uh, rests chiefly on his poems, um, and one of uh, his famous books is The Breakfast Table Book, which is a series of stories. His lighter verse had made him one of the leading American writers of familiar verse, so in poetry. and what. Holmes is considered one of the fireside poets with other Boston literary elites, such as Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, those, you know, those guys. Sure. Um, Holmes was uh, big in the literary world in the 19th century, and many of his works were published in the Atlantic Monthly, which is a magazine he named. Oh. (laughs) So he is the reason it's called that. Uh, For his literary achievements and other things, he was awarded numerous honorary degrees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he was also a very important medical reformer. Uh, Because he was also a physician. 
in addition to his works as an author and poet, he served as a physician, a professor, a lecturer, an inventor, and although he never practiced, received a formal training in law. So, overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little bit about his upbringing. So, Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts on uh, April 29th, 1809. Birthplace is a house just north of Harvard Yard where he parked the car. <laughs> so, that's why he was an overachiever. Yeah. Really an overachiever. The car had not been invented yet and he was already parking it there. <laughs> he was parking the carriage at Harvard Yard. I parked the carriage at Harvard Yard. <laughs> Uh, so from a young age, like many of our authors, he was small and had asthma, so he didn't play sports or anything. He was kind of, you know, stuck in the house, so he, he wrote. Want to be famous? Develop <laughs> asthma. Yeah. <laughs> but he was known for being very precocious, too. Like, he, was, he got in trouble a lot. Uh, he was a very talented student, but he was often... Uh, punished by his teachers for his talkative nature and habit of reading stories during school hours. He sounds like me. <laughs> like, yeah, I hit fantasy novels in my math book. So he his first recorded poem uh, was that his father actually copied down and like kept was written when he was 13. And then shortly after his 16th birthday, Holmes was accepted to Harvard. So, so he didn't have to go far. He didn't have to go far. So he was a precocious student, got in trouble a lot, but clearly very intelligent. Like, he was just bored. Yeah. I mean, that's what was going on. So his academic interests and hobby were divided amongst law, medicine, and writing. So this is a fun fact. I was telling Ken yesterday when I was doing these this research that I was like, the synchronicities of this is insane. So the friend and his friends who I hung out with this week went to Harvard. They all met at Harvard in grad school. So we were talking about that. Then I was on TikTok and Jennifer Coolidge just got honored at Harvard for the Hasting Pudding Festival. And I, I sent like pudding. I know I sent the video of her getting sung to by this like a cappella group that looks so Harvard. Like it was all these boys in like very Harvardy looking suits. Like and I, I said to Ben, what the fuck is the hasty pudding thing? But I don't care. They're honoring Jennifer Coolidge. This is what it is. So the Hastings Pudding Festival is like a honoring of the arts. If you want to see Jennifer Coolidge get serenaded by a bunch of Harvard boys, it's really cute. Um, go check that out. So I didn't know what the fuck this was, and here it is. So he served, uh, our author, Mr. Holmes, served as the poet and secretary for the Hasty Pudding Society. Uh, he also studied law, and then he switched to medicine because he was like, meh. Uh, <laughs> board do we know why it was called hasty pudding so the hasty pudding theatricals is known informally simply as the pudding is a theatrical student society at harvard it is known for its burlesque and cross-dressing musicals all right the hasty pudding is the oldest theatrical organization in the united states and the third oldest in the world only behind the comedia francaise that's cool i wow. should have given that information yeah <laughs> well <laughs> shit <laughs> um but yeah, so they and they've created this festival to honor people in the arts. Uh, previous members of the Hasty Pudding have included John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, J.P. Morgan, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, William Hurst, uh, J. Lerner Lowe, uh, Alan J. Lerner, Oscar winner Jack Lemmon, <laughs> uh, Rashida Jones. Okay, so Hi. cool. Amazing. And now we know. The more you know. Bling. 
Um, so, well, weird synchronicity. So Holmes was the uh, poet and uh, secretary for that, that company. So he got bored with law. He switched to medicine. He was very dismayed, the reason he switched to medicine. He was upset with the painful and repulsive aspects of primitive medical treatment of the time. I found this funny because we always talk about shitty medicine in the 1800s. He despised and was like, this cannot be correct to practices such as bloodletting and blistering. (laughs) So he went on to like be a very active uh, physician in finding humane... um, approaches to medicine and you know scientifically sound purposes of medicine there's a whole like i said there's so much information on him so sure he came up with the idea that maybe if you're sick the best approach is not (laughs) taking all your blood away (laughs) so he was very formidable in that and then uh in 1856 the atlantic or the saturday club was created to launch and support the Atlantic Monthly. This new magazine was edited by Holmes's friend, James Russell Lowell, and the articles were contributed by many New England literary elites, like his friends, the the fireside poets. Uh, and then his friend let him name the magazine. So the magazine became the Atlantic Monthly. Cool. Um, he provided the name, but he also wrote various pieces, including the one we're going to read today was in that one. So uh, he did that. Also... I think, I believe, if you remember at the beginning, I said he's also an inventor. In 1860, Holmes invented the American... The, in 1860, Holmes invented the American stereoscope. Do you know what that is? I bet you do. It's that thing you hold up to your eyes and you flash oh, the pictures yeah. through. He invented that. Huh. So it's, an, it's a 19th century entertainment which pictures were viewed in 3D. He later wrote an explanation for its popularity, stating there was not a wholly new principle involved with its construction, but it proved so much more convenient than any hand instrument in use. And it gradually drove them, all the rest of them, out of the field. Um, Rather than patenting the hand stereoscope, because he he just and profiting from its success, which was huge, he just gave the idea away. He went, I'm good. I'm I'm successful. I don't need it. Like, he was just following in Tesla's footsteps. There you go. Like, it, which is I, like last night when I saw that, I went, "Holy shit!" Like I had like to this day they make those, but like I definitely remember having yeah. one as a kid. And like, yeah, the things that look like cameras. Yeah, they little. Just you just put your the... eyes in and you click. You put the little little yeah. circular thing in and you go through. Yeah, it's so cool. So he invented that. To be clear, I was comparing him to Tesla, the inventor, not Tesla, the car company. <laughs> so. Again, I could go on and on and on about this guy. Like, seriously, I was enthralled for hours reading about him. But we're going to get to his death so we can get to the story. (laughs) So Holmes died quietly um, in 1894, October 7th, uh, at home. His son, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., wrote, His death was as peaceful as one would wish for those one loves. He simply ceased to breathe. Um, His son would serve as a justice on the Supreme Court. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So that's a whole nother... Huh. Yep. <laughs> There's a whole nother thing we could go into, but we will not. So uh, he was, again, Oliver Wendell Holmes was the leading wits of American literature. Though he is not well known as a short story writer, he did not write many brief pic- 
uh, pieces of fiction. I found one. So today you will be reading A Visit to the Asylum for Aged and Decayed Punksters by Oliver <laughs> Wendell Holmes. It's from the Atlantic Monthly, and it was first published January 1861. Woo! Let's start this fire. A Visit to the Asylum for Aged and Decayed Punsters by Oliver Wendell Holmes. I want to point out it's punsters, not punksters, like I said. No relation to Punky Brewster. Oh man, that's what I thought we were getting into. Visit to the Asylum for Aged and Decayed Punky Brewsters <laughs> by Sherlock's cousin. Well, she is like in her 50s now. <laughs> Having just returned from a visit to this admirable institution in company with a friend who is one of the directors, we propose giving a short account of what we saw and heard. <laughs> The great success of the Asylum for Idiots and Feeble-Minded Youth, Jesus. several of the scholars from which have reached considerable distinction, one of them being connected to the leading daily paper in this city, and others having served in the state and national legislatures, <laughs> was the motive which led to the foundation of this excellent charity. Oh my god, that's an opening. <laughs> Um, you should look up punster. Punster, a person who is fond of making puns. Okay, great. <laughs> That's what I figured it would mean. Uh, yeah. It's Scrabble points, it's worth nine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, listener. Uh, an extra 20 points to the first person to email us and let us know when they have played punster in Scrabble. Yeah. Our late distinguished townsman Noah Dow Esquire, as is well known, bequeathed a large portion of his fortune to this establishment, being thereto moved, as his will expressed it, by the desire of endowing some public institution for the benefit of mankind. Being consulted as to the rules of the institution and the selection of a superintendent, he replied that all boards must construct their own platforms of operation. Let them select anyhow, and he should be pleased. N.E. Howe, Esquire, was chosen in compliance with this delicate suggestion. Oh, he, got in for, he got put in charge of his own school. No, 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 no. So this guy yeah. leaves a bunch of, this guy, Noah Dow. Yeah. Leaves a bunch of land yeah. to, to, become the, to become an asylum. Yes. And the says, people ask him who who, who do you want to run it? Want to run it. Yeah. And he said, I don't know, pick any how you want. And a guy named N. <laughs> e. How Esquire was chosen. <laughs> and the puns have already begun. Uh, I have a feeling this story is gonna be ridiculous. <laughs> Oh my All God! Right. Wow, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> the charter provides for the support of 100 aged and decayed gentlemen <laughs> punsters. On inquiry, if there were no provision for females, my friend called my attention to this remarkable psychological fact, namely, there is no such thing as a female punster. Lies. 
Lies, I call sexism. <laughs> no, there's no such thing as sexism in healthcare. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. De 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 definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> this remark struck me forcibly, and on reflection, I found that I never knew nor heard of one. Though I have once or twice heard a woman make a single detached pun, as I have known a hen to crow. <laughs> so women pun, they're just not They're just excessive. not punsters. They're not like, they have better things to do in their life than come up with stupid puns and dad jokes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's why they're called dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not mom jokes. Not mom jokes. Mom jokes are a whole different thing. <laughs> On arriving, what would a mom joke be? <laughs> I pushed you through my vagina, so eat your peas now or you don't get dinner. <laughs> like, like something along that. My mom, there's a lot of I guilt. I don't like mom jokes. Mom guilt. They it's seem aggressive. <laughs> and not terribly funny. Do you want to go to the movie tonight? Then eat your fucking steak because I made it with my own hands and I gave birth to you. Like that. That's, that's a mom joke. <laughs> All right. Hey, listener. Also. <laughs> Shoot us an email after after you use Punster and Scrabble or before. I don't care about the order. Do your life the way you Live want. Your life. Shoot us an email and let me know uh, how your mom jokes are coming. <laughs> Send us your best mom joke. Yeah. We'll read our favorite in next week's episode. <laughs> On arriving at the south gate of the asylum grounds, I was about to ring, but my friend held my arm and begged me to rap with my stick, which I did. An old man with a very comical face presently opened the gate and put out his head. So, you prefer Cain to a bell, do you? He said and began chuckling and coughing at a great rate. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Cain to Abel? Yeah. You prefer Cain to Abel? <laughs> Okay, I will tell you where I found this story. I found it under the 10 most humorous stories ever published in American literature. Weirdly, it's also in a collection called The 10 Worst Things Ever Put on Paper. What? <laughs> what? Really? Oh. I was like, well, shit. Someone doesn't like fun. <laughs> it's me. You pun all the time. Get the fuck out of here. Stop trying to act cool. You're the pun king. You're My pun king. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher would take. Uh, yes. Would would take what? Would take offense at that statement. Yeah, Ashton Kutcher would be the head of this asylum. My friend winked at me. <laughs> You're here still, old Joe. I see. He said, to "The old man." Yes, yes, and it's very odd considering how often I've bolted nights. He threw open the double gates for us to ride through. Now, said the old man as he pulled the gates after us, you've had a long journey. Oh, why, how is that, old Joe? asked my friend. Don't you see, he answered. There's the east hinges on the one side of the gate. There's the west hinges on the other side. Ha, ha, ha. We had no sooner got into the yard than a feeble little gentleman with a remarkably bright eye came up to us, looking very serious as if something had happened. 
The town has entered a complaint against the asylum as a gambling establishment, he said to my friend, the director. Oh, no. What do you mean? Why, they complain that there is a lot awry on the premises, he answered, pointing at a field of that grain and hobbled away, his shoulders shaking with laughter as he went. Heather, Heather can't breathe, so I'll be pausing a minute before continuing. This story is amazing. Oh my god, I'm crying. It started. Okay, we got a long way to go. Okay, let's go. So far, it feels like a stand-up routine. <laughs> yeah, it feels, yeah. or like a check-off one act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On entering the main building, we saw the rules and regulations for the asylum conspicuously posted. I made a few extracts, which may be interesting. Oh, God. Section 1 of Verbal Exercises. 5. Each inmate shall be permitted to make puns freely from 8 in the morning until 10 at night, except during service in the chapel and grace before meals. <laughs> no puns during Jesus, y'all. Yep. <laughs> Six. At 10 o'clock, the gas will be turned off, and no further puns, conundrums, or other play on words will be allowed to be uttered or to be uttered aloud. <laughs> gas will be turned off. Damn. Nine, inmates who have lost their faculties and cannot any longer make puns shall be permitted to repeat such as may be selected for them by the chaplain out of the work of Mr. Joseph Miller. If your mind is so gone that you can't make up puns, you can read these to make <clears throat> yourself feel better. Ten, violent and unmanageable punsters who interrupt others when engaged in conversation with puns or attempts at the same shall be deprived of their Joseph Millers and, if necessary, placed in solitary confinement. <laughs> Section 3 of Deportment at Meals. No inmate shall make any pun or attempt at the same until the blessing has been asked and the company are decently seated. Again, no Jesus puns. Seven. Certain puns, having been placed on the index expurgatorius of the institution, no inmate shall be allowed to utter them on pain of being debarred the perusal of Punch and Vanity Fair, and if repeated, deprived of his Joseph Miller. I don't know who Joseph Miller is, but he's, I think look him up. He's the shit. Joseph Miller's such a generic name. Yeah. I don't know how we're gonna. Whatever. Yeah, I, I, we might find out. Yep. I think we're gonna find out. So we have certain puns that were there that no one's allowed to use anymore. Among these are the following: allusions to attic salt when asked to pass the salt cellar. <laughs> Remarks on the inmates being mustard, etc., etc., associating baked beans with benefactors of the institution. <laughs> because the benefactors fart like beans, I guess. Or something, something along yeah. those lines, okay. Saying that beef eating is befitting, etc., etc. 
The following are also prohibited, excepting to such inmates as may have lost their faculties and cannot any longer make puns of their own. Your own hair or a wig, it will be long enough, etc., etc., little of its age, etc., etc., also playing upon the following words, hospital, mayor, pun, pitied, bread, sauce, etc., 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 see index expurgatorius printed for the use of inmates. What? <laughs> Wow. Somebody really liked to make jokes about their hair. Yeah, well, it's all aging punsters, yeah. and so it's, so it's they like, got tired oh. of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it, a bald joke. Yeah. They're like, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, also, like, yeah, you're all in the hospital. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. The subjoined conundrum is not allowed. Why is hasty pudding like the prince? Because it comes attended by its sweet nor this variation to it, to wit, because the lasses run after it. I'm glad we looked up hasty pudding. Yeah. <laughs> also, that is the theme of my week. I think hasty pudding is the theme of the week. <laughs> yeah, or Harvard. Har I want pudding. Harvard. I mean, Harvard is the theme of the week, but like... We want pudding. We can make some pudding. <laughs> we'll get some. We'll get some um, snack packs. Now bring me some figgy pudding and bring some right here. Okay. I won't go until I get some. Okay. The superintendent who went round with us had been a noted punster in his time and well known in the business world, but lost his customers by making too free with their names, as in the famous story he set afloat in 29 of four Jerry's attaching to the names of a noted judge, an eminent lawyer, the secretary of the Board of Foreign Missions, and the well-known landlord at Springfield. One of the four Jerry's, he added, was of gigantic magnitude. The play on words was brought out by an accidental remark of Solomon's, the well-known banker, capital punishment, with reference to the guilty parties. He was understood as saying, the capital pun is meant. Instead of capital yeah. punishment. Yes. Which led to an investigation <laughs> and the relief of the greatly excited public yes. mind. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oof. Oh, I think I'm going to need a break in this story. This is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> this is a lot. This is, um, this is Shakespearean rapidity yeah. of pun. Yeah. The superintendent showed some of his old tendencies as he went round with us. Do you know, he broke out all at once, why they don't take steps in tartary for establishing insane hospitals? We both confessed ignorance. Because they were a nomad people to be found there. <laughs> No mad people. I always say I'm nomad. I'm a nomad. <laughs> but let's be real. I'm both mad and a nomad. <laughs> there were no mad people to be found there. <laughs> I 
this feels like a story where like I want I'm like I want David Letterman reading all of the punchlines. Yeah. Because it's because there are no mad people to be found there. No mad. <laughs> uh, he proceeded to introduce us to different inmates. The first was a middle-aged scholarly man who was seated at a table with a Webster's Dictionary and a sheet of paper before him. Well, what luck today, Mr. Mauser, said the superintendent. Three or four only, said Mr. Mauser. Will you hear him now, now I'm here? <laughs> we all nodded. Don't you see Webster errs in the words center and theater? If he spells leather, L-E-T-H-E-R, and feather, F-E-T-H-E-R, isn't there danger that he'll give us a bad spell of weather? <laughs> a bad spell of weather. <laughs> Besides, Webster is a resurrectionist. He does not allow you to rest quietly in the mold. <laughs> That's mold, M-O-U-L-D. Yeah, this listener. is one I highly recommend pulling up a copy of the story to read along with. Because we'll read it, but you're going to want to see some of the spelling. <laughs> And again, because Mr. Worcester inserts an illustration in his text, is that any reason why Mr. Webster's publishers should hitch one on in their appendix? That's what I call a Connecticut trip. <laughs> Connecticut. Connecticut trip. <laughs> Woof. Oh, that one's not your best, sir. Why is his way of spelling like the floor of an oven? Because it is under bread. <laughs> no bread jokes! No bread jokes! It's on the rules! Mouser, said the superintendent, that <laughs> word is on the index. I forgot, please don't deprive me of Vanity Fair this one time, sir. <laughs> These are all this morning. Good day, gentlemen. Then, to the superintendent, add you, sir. <laughs> this is... Add you. Amazing. <laughs> I... This is, like, the most legit insane asylum I've ever heard of. Because it's just, like, brilliant people who, like, focus all their energy on fucking with words. It's amazing. Whew. <laughs> the next inmate was a semi-idiotic looking man. <laughs> he had a heap of block letters before him, and as we came up, he pointed without saying a word to the arrangements he had made with them on the table. They were evidently anagrams and had the merit of transposing the letters of the words employed without addition or subtraction. Here were a few of them. Times. Smite, post, stop, tribune, true nib, world, Dr. <laughs> Owl. 
advertiser. Res very dot is true. Read. <laughs> Allopathy. All of the pay. Homeopathy. Oh, the. Oh, oh my. This mention of several New York papers led to two or three questions. Thus, whether the editor of the Tribune was H.G. really, if the complexion of his politics were not accounted for by his being an eager person himself, whether Wendell Phillips were not a reduced copy of John Knox, whether the New York... Fulitonist <laughs> is not the same thing as a fellow down east. So that's all about editors of like magazines. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's one of those that's of the time. That's one of those Shakespeare jokes that you look up, try to figure out how to make it funny, and end up cutting it. So the Fulitonist, the the Fulitonist, yeah, uh, I can actually play it, so we can get the correct pronunciation. Fulitonist, the Fulitonist. The Fiotonist <laughs> um, is its part of a European newspaper devoted to light fiction reviews and articles of general entertainment. So it's an entertainment magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a whole string <clears throat> of jokes that it uh, probably uh, made sense if you were really well educated at Harvard in, in 1870. 1861, <laughs> yeah. At this time, a plausible-looking, bald-headed man joined us, evidently waiting to take part in the conversation. Good morning, Mr. Riggles, said the superintendent. Anything fresh this morning? Any conundrum? I haven't looked at the cattle, he said dryly. Cattle? Why cattle? Why, to see if there's any conundrum. <laughs> He said, and immediately asked, Why is Douglas like the earth? We tried, but couldn't guess. Because he has flattened out at the poles. <laughs> That's a political joke, dear listener. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> oh, Mr. Riggles. <laughs> oh, a famous politician formerly said the superintendent. His grandfather was a secessionist. 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 <laughs> In the Revolutionary War. By the way, I hear the Frizoil doctrines. Frizoil? Frizoil. Frizoil. Again. Frizoil. Uh, doctrines don't go down at New Bedford. And that's the actual insane asylum. <laughs> the next inmate looked as if he might have been a sailor formerly. Ask him what his calling was, said the superintendent. The superintendent is a fucking, like, An instigator. he is the instigator of all of this. Okay, ask him what his calling was. Okay. Followed the sea, he replied to the question put by one of us. Went as mate in a fishing schooner. Why did you give it up? Because I didn't like working for two masters. <laughs> a sailing joke. Two masters. Mast <laughs> oh, Lord Almighty. 
Presently, we came upon a group of elderly persons gathered about a venerable gentleman with flowing locks who was propounding questions to a row of inmates. Can any inmate give me the motto of M. Berger? He said. Nobody responded for two or three minutes. At last, one old man, whom I at once recognized as a graduate of our university, anno 1800, held up his right hand. Rem acutetigit. Go to the head of the class, Jocelyn, said the venerable patriarch. The successful inmate did as he was told, but in a very rough way, pushing against two or three of the class. How is this? said the patriarch. You told me to go up Jocelyn, he replied. <laughs> Jocelyn. <laughs> like jostling people. <laughs> How many times has he used that? Because his name is Jocelyn. S some of these puns take a long time to land. Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys are not necessarily good at their job. <laughs> what they're what they're being uh, incarcerated for? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, institutionalized. Institutionalized. <laughs> the old gentleman who had been shoved about enjoyed the pun too much to be angry. Presently, the patriarch asked again, "Why was M. Berger authorized to go to the dances given to the prince?" The class had to give up this and he answered it himself. Because every one of his karams was a ticket to the ball. I don't know what a karam is. I don't either. Let's look it up. <laughs> karam board. Oh, it's a game. Uh, you've seen it. Oh, and I think the, like, the pieces on this are ticket. These are ticks, I think. Um. I think that's what they're called. Took long. That's why no one got that one. That that one goes way. That one's yep. like, he thought about Deep that cut. one for way too long, and it just did not pay off. <laughs> Who collects the money to defray the expenses of the last campaign in Italy? Asked the patriarch. Here again, the class failed. The war clouds rolling done. He answered. And what is mulled wine made with? Three or four voices exclaimed at once, Sizzly Madeira! <laughs> Here, a Are they all on the good drugs now? I feel I like know. they all just dropped some mushrooms. Like they all had breakfast and they definitely put some, some like, some like micro doses of like the good, <laughs> the good shit in there. So they're all just like coming to the like, we don't even make sense anymore, but uh -huh. it doesn't matter. <laughs> we can all be drunk and dumb. <laughs> Here a servant entered and said, luncheon time. The old gentlemen who have excellent appetites dispersed at once. One of them politely asking us if we would not stop and have a bit of bread and a little mite of cheese. There is one thing I have forgotten to show you, said the superintendent. The cell for the confinement of violent and unmanageable punsters. I don't know if I want to go there. 
We were very curious to see it, particularly with reference to the alleged absence of every object upon which a play of words could possibly be made. Okay, so it has to be completely in your head now. You don't yep. have anything laying around to go, <laughs> Ah, this twig reminds me. <laughs> the superintendent led us up some dark stairs to a corridor, then along a narrow passage, then down a broad flight of steps into another passageway, and opened a large door which looked out on the main entrance. We have not seen the cell for the confinement of violent and unmanageable punsters, we both exclaimed. This is the cell, he exclaimed, <laughs> pointing to the outside prospect. What? That's cell, S-E-L-L. We sold you the, we sold you something, like we sold, like there are no violent punsters. <laughs> My friend, the director, looked me in the face so good-naturedly that I had to laugh. <laughs> we like to humor the inmates, he said. It has a bad effect, we find, on their health and spirits to disappoint them of their little pleasantries. Some of the jests to which we have listened are not new to me, though I dare say you may not have heard them often before. The same thing happens in general society with this additional disadvantage, that there is no punishment provided for violent and unmanageable punsters as in our institution. <laughs> we made our bow to the superintendent and walked to the place where our carriage was waiting for us. On our way, an exceedingly decrepit old man moved slowly towards us with a perfectly blank look on his face, but still appearing as if he wished to speak. Look, said the director, that is our centenarian. The ancient man crawled towards us, cocked one eye with which he seemed to see a little up at us, and said, Servant, young gentleman, why is uh, like uh, give it up because it's He smiled a pleasant <laughs> smile as if it were all plain enough. Oh my god! 107 last Christmas, said the director. Of late years, he puts his whole conundrums in blank, but they please him just as well. <laughs> we took our departure, much gratified and instructed by our visit hoping to have some future opportunity of inspecting the records of this excellent charity and making extracts for the benefit of our readers. The end. What in God's name? That was very strange. <laughs> I love that these writers went there to, like, pull some of the jokes. They're like, we're going to... This is great because we're going to take some of these home and steal them and put yeah. them in our writing for our readers to enjoy. <laughs> um, I was mostly confused by that story. It's just it felt like walking through. Um, it, it felt like hanging out 
at a big family holiday dinner where everyone is your weird uncle. Everyone's your weird uncle, or like it felt like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but like... But funny. But like on... It's just wordplay. Like, it's all these people that just think they're, like, the cleverest person in the room. Like, that's what they're guilty of. (laughs) They're, like, people that loved, used to read the dictionary. Yep. (laughs) Like, this is what, see, kids, this is what happens when you sit at home and read the dictionary. (laughs) Get a hobby. Play a sport. (laughs) Do you want to end up like these guys? Write a poem. Don't write a pun. (laughs) (laughs) There, that's the that's the selling point. Write a poem, not a pun. <laughs> Although if you can do both. If you can put a pun in a poem, then that's a whole different story. <laughs> Make poems, not puns. <laughs> it's my new protest sign. Instead of make love, not war. Yeah. Make poems, not make puns. Make poems, not puns. I'm into that. <laughs> so <laughs> make pudding, not puns. Mm, pudding. You really want some haste you want some pudding hastily. I want some- you want pudding. some hasty pudding. You want pudding now. Now bring me some freaking pudding. Now bring, bring you some, some freaking pudding. pudding. Now bring him some freaking pudding and ring it right now. Hey, listener. Um, I'd be curious to know if you did uh, read any portion of that along with us or if there were some puns that you were able to pick up on listening to that I couldn't figure out while reading. Uh, could you point them out to us? Because I'm genuinely confused by several of them. I will say they were clearer at the top of the story, and they became more and more um, obscure <laughs> and crazy or, like, you know, unintelligible as the story went on. I don't know if that was on purpose to feel like you're getting sucked into this, like, yeah. in- asylum. That last one reminded me the of one of my favorite funny. jokes. Yeah. Tell it. So there are two whales swimming in the ocean, and the first whale says to the second whale, And the second whale replies, (laughs) (laughs) What's the punchline? Oh, you didn't get it? Let me try again. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) So the first whale says, Fuck off. Get out of here. Whales don't talk. Oh my god! <laughs> you and the centenarian would get along very, very well. Oh my god! Oh, that this episode was absurd. I loved it. Uh, we went from uh, opera singing uh, uh, murder clowns to uh, inventors of the pictiogrammy thing and the <laughs> and hasty puddings, and yeah. now we are at whale jokes. <laughs> I loved it. I thought Moby it was... Dick jokes. <laughs> it's the only dick joke we got in this episode. Is that the only dick joke? Yep. <gasps> oh my god. Moby Dick jokes. 
Wow. I don't think we had any sex jokes either. No, not really. There, I mean, there wasn't I mean, the, much. The, jokes, a, the, the story was a joke. The story, the sto- was, a, the story was a stand-up routine. Long, really bad running pun. Yeah. And uh, it was a bunch of, like, weird old men. It, it wasn't easy to squeeze in. I will say. <laughs> it wasn't easy to squeeze, squeeze in sex. Squeeze in the sex, yeah. Um, yeah, being in an old person's asylum doesn't make me automatically go to sex jokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to each their own, not judging. Uh, but I thought it was very funny. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah, I found this in a collection of like 10 best comed- like humorous short stories in American literature kind yeah. of thing. It's also one of his only short stories because he did not, he wrote a lot of collections of stories, but most of them are much longer than this. So um, it has the feel of one of those like, Mark Twain things yes. that that were written to be a um like this is an essay. It's yes. not a story. Yeah. It's an essay. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely. is just humorous. Yeah. yeah. It's a hum- humorous observation on life. Yes. Yeah. I liked it. So, hey, listener, did you enjoy that one? Write into 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media. Just look for Campfire Classics Podcast. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you managed to use Punster in Scrabble. Um, What was the other one I wanted to hear about? Uh, Punster in Scrabble. Let us know about that other thing that I asked you to do for us. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and for our gold and platinum level listeners, that third thing that you heard in there, secretly embedded, that was just for you. Yeah, let us know about that yeah, too. Yeah, tell us all about it. Stud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and when you write in, please share uh, this week's, please write in with this week's secret passcode which is entertainment murder clown entertainment murder clown uh as everything i got anything from you uh no i think that's it all right then until next week this has been campfire classics where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf i don't know what to say under all that Ask for me tomorrow and you shall find me a grave man. That's a pun. It is. Shakespeare. Now is the winter of our a glorious summer by the sun of York. <laughs> sun, sun. Now is the summer in our disco tent. Oh, I want a disco tent. That sounds awesome. Let's go make a disco tent. (laughs) All right.